Washington football team fans, welcome back to another episode of the Bleeding BNG podcast. We have a special episode in store for you guys today because today is actually our first regular season game reaction of all time for the Bleeding BNG podcast. So, guys, the Washington football team had lost to the San, uh, Los Angeles Chargers, excuse me, 20 to 16 yesterday. So, to give you a timestamp of what I do for every episode, today is. Uh, Monday, September 13th, and it is about 6.30 p.m., so we had a lot of information come out today. But first, we want to recap the new um, the loss against the Los Angeles Chargers, and I just want to give some of my thoughts on the game. So I actually was there, as I will be for all season, every game, all every home game all season, being that I'm a, a season ticket holder, a Washington football team gold member, and I'll be in Section 139. So first, I just want to talk about the guest experience. Shout out to you guys, especially the hog farmers. You guys put on a tremendous tailgate. I was there from, what, 9.45 until about kickoff, and there wasn't a dull moment. So shout out to everybody that participated in the tailgate, and it felt amazing just to have fans back. It felt like... It felt like where I belonged, you know. Um, it felt like a sense of normalcy was back. So shout out to you guys, um, especially like Hogs, Hogs Farmers Chris, Hog Farmer Jeff. You guys put on a, a tremendous tailgate, and I can't wait for the one on Thursday. So it's time to get to the game, guys. If you guys have been following my social medias over the last 24 hours, I told you guys I'm taking the filter off today. Um, and the reason is because, you know, why I don't have an issue with a loss, um, if we had looked good in a loss, I would I would be more complacent and more with a positive outlook towards the season. But yesterday I saw too many things that can be exposed, and I'll just run down the litany of the list right now. Um, so first, uh, the first matter at hand is quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick. He got hurt about a minute and a half into the second quarter of his first game with the Washington football team, and it's a hip injury. I think they're calling it a hip subluxation. Um, and um, Adam Schefter actually within the last hour and a half said that he'll be expected to miss about six to eight weeks and he'll be put on the IR. Now that injury can, you know, be longer due to a guy like Fitz who is about 38 years old. So, you know, as the older you get, you know, the longer it takes for you to heal. So this may potentially be a season-ending injury um, and I just wish the best for Fitz. But um, as far as just the game plan and things like that, Fitz wasn't, wasn't exactly lighting the world on fire. Um, before his injury. So um, a lot of the stagnance that we were talking about coming out of, of the preseason with the uh, ones not scoring a touchdown and things like that, a lot of that had a lot of carryover into week one where, you know, we struggled with, this, with the Los Angeles Chargers. You know, they really dictated the majority of that game. Yeah, we caught a spark in the third quarter, but if you can look – I feel like we were outplayed by the Los Angeles Chargers three out of four quarters, and you're not going to win a game being outplayed 75% of the game. So, shout out, best wishes to you, um, quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick, but, you know, the show must go on. So, speaking of the show must go on, Taylor Heineke came in, and I thought that he played pretty well. Um, I was actually pretty, pretty down um, and upset when I saw Taylor Heineke come in because of the performance that I saw throughout training camp um, with like a lot of the mishaps and a lot of the interceptions he was throwing in Richmond and things like that. But Taylor is a gamer, man. That's one thing that I'll give it give to Taylor. And like I got mentioned before in podcast one of Taylor's strengths is extending the po- play um, and escaping the pocket. And those are things that you're not necessarily doing a lot in the offseason, especially in training camp, because you don't want defenders, you know, getting outside of their right mind and trying to get a free shot on the quarterback and things like that. So a lot of those plays that he extended in the game yesterday 
would have been blown dead and were blown dead from what I saw in Richmond. Um, from what I saw in Richmond, I thought that Taylor had a tendency to hold the ball um, just a tad bit long, missing a couple reads. And I did see that in the game yesterday. But the thing about the game yesterday is that when he did miss that read and he saw that the throw wasn't there anymore, he was able to take off, something that he couldn't do um, or he wasn't allowed to do in Richmond um, per se. So the quarterback situation, we're, we're in flux right now. Um, so I said Brian Fitzpatrick is expected to miss the next six to eight weeks. In Coach Rivera's press conference today, he said that the team is rolling with Taylor. And rolling with Cal is their backup. And I'm ah, I'm not too confident in that plan, to be honest. Um, yesterday, I tweeted from the stadium, Washington needs to bring in Cam Newton tomorrow. And I'm not one of those guys that are necessarily falling for the big name and things like that. But I honestly think that even Cam Newton, who, who is a shell of himself at this point in his career, I think that he has the potential to be better than a Taylor Heineke and a Kyle Allen for a season-long sample. We got to think that Taylor Heineke still hasn't had a game where he had to be game-planned for entering the game. Every, every, every moment that we saw with Taylor Heineke um, as a Washington football team member has been in spot duty. And while he has answered the challenge, and that can be, you know, that can be something to look look positive towards, you know, this is a guy that's always going to be there to answer the challenge when his name is called. This will be, actually be the first game going into this Thursday's matchup with the New York Giants that Taylor Heineke is actually going to be game plan for. So I was looking at, you know, maybe potentially bringing Cam in. I was shooting those possibilities down when Ryan Fitzpatrick was our starter. But at this point, if you want to salvage the season, I just think that you need somebody more talented than the two quarterbacks that you have on your roster at the moment. Um, I know a guy, Kyle Shermer, from the uh, Kansas City Chiefs practice squad was brought in to be uh, essentially our QB3, but I don't know much about him other than the fact that he went to um, Texas A&M. But bringing in a guy like Cam, I'm not going to spend too much um, time on it because it looks like that's something that we're not going to do. But hopefully a guy like Taylor Heineke can show that, you know, he is more than what I'm expecting of him. Um, I think that he may, you know, perform well for a couple games here and there and spot duty and things like that. But there's a reason why, you know, Taylor Heineke was 29 and is really seeing his first hint of NFL success at all. There is a reason for that. So while I am positive um, about, you know, Taylor's performance yesterday, he, I think he only had about four incompletions with no turnovers. And, you know, he kept the guys in the game. Um, and the guys did have a spark, and they did look more energetic than they did under the helm of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Not saying that that was just um, due to who was the commander-in-chief of the huddle at that point, but just, you know, the offense moves faster with Taylor Heineke. So for the quarterback position right now, that is in a lot of limbo. Um, hey, hey, Ron, you might have to make that call for Cam one more time. It seems like Ron doesn't want to do it. And it seems like, you know, we have a lot of people from that Carolina Panthers training staff, medical staff, coaching staff, all over. They all over Ashburn. So it seems like some of those guys may have some background knowledge on Cam where they just don't want to touch him because this is the second offseason in a row. Now we're going into the regular season where you have one of the worst QB situations at the moment, right after week one, and you're still not giving Cam Newton a call. It seems like the Ron Rivera and company know something um, that they're not telling the rest of the world. So that's it about the quarterback position. Let's move on to Antonio Gibson. Antonio Gibson had a solid game. Antonio Gibson had a solid game. Antonio Gibson's fumble also killed us in that game as well. Two things can be true. Antonio Gibson had a really good game before that fumble. Um, he was running hard. He was, he was, he was 
finding uh, pressing open gaps and things like that. And his final stat line doesn't look too bad. He ended up with 20 carries for 90 yards. That's an average of 4.5 yards per carry, and you're taking that every time. You're taking that every time. That's Pro Bowl running back numbers. He also had three receptions for 18 yards, which is an average of about six yards per carry. But, hey, that's not bad for a full-time running back. Like I said, these are Pro Bowl numbers. And Antonio Gibson, I think the first two drives, he was averaging somewhere between five point, uh, somewhere around 5.6 um, yards uh, per touch, which is ridiculous. And, you know, Scott Turner was keeping him involved in the game plan. They were running the ball and things like that. But, my guy, my guy, A.G., you have to hold on to the football, my guy. I told you guys today, the filter is coming off. You have to hold on to the football, my guy. All these good counting stats that I just ran off, that doesn't matter if you don't hold on to the football. If we're being honest, you had two fumbles yesterday. You got saved because one of them rolled out of bounds. And if you look at it, Antonio Gibson's running style, while it is conducive for big plays and things like that, because he looks nimble on his feet where he can just you know, hop in and hop out of a, a cut and things like that. His running style is also conducive to a lot of fumbles. We got to remember, AG is a is a taller back. He's almost 6'2", about 230 pounds, um, and he, he runs very upright, and he was carrying the ball like a loaf of bread yesterday. And not only his negative runs, but his positive runs as well. He just has a, a, a running style that I see may be conducive to fumbling, and hopefully he can correct this issue. If you can remember last year, while he didn't fumble a lot, the fumbles that I do remember were very crucial, like the fumble um, in Cleveland against the Browns um, right before halftime where we could have kept it into a one-score game and things like that, or the fumble against the New York Giants after the long catch-and-run he had to start off the game. And we just never could get back on track because, you know, that, that, that takes you out of your rhythm. That takes you out of your rhythm. And then yesterday, I know a lot is to be said from the media and things like that, which is starting to get on my nerves about, oh, the fan turn out, oh, the fan rollout. Man, fans were in there yesterday. I don't really, I don't really care what the attendance was because the fans that were in there, they were loud and rowdy. The lower bowl was pretty much full. The club level, eh, a little scarce. And, and the four, the section four hundred, the nosebleeds, they were they were pretty they were pretty pretty well stocked as well, and we were lit. Like I was at the game, and the fans were lit. We were making noise from the jump. We were making noise even after San Diego went down the field ten plays, eighty yards, like it was nothing. Like we were running us running through us like a hot night through butter. We were still making noise this, the, when the offense went out, the second possession for the defense. And I'll be honest with you. That crowd was live until Antonio Gibson's fumble. But what do you expect? That is following maybe the loudest moment that the stadium was after the William Jackson interception that I'm going to touch base on later. But after that, the crowd seemed dejected, and I'm hearing a lot of local media pundits and things like that. Oh, oh, well, well, you got you to gotta get a home field advantage. You got to win to get a home field advantage. That's not true because it was there yesterday. It was there yesterday. We were ready. We were ready for a win. We were ready to contribute to a win. But the product on the field wasn't ready. And I'm just getting sick and tired of, it seems like everybody with the with national media pundits, local media pundits, and things like that, they're worried about the things that don't matter, which is winning football games. Which is winning football games. Now, if you want to talk about the product on the football field, yesterday it was shitty. Just like the, the shit that was coming out of the sewer um, that they want to, you know, claim as rainwater. It was just shit all around in FedEx Field yesterday. That was a shitty performance coupled with a shitty sewer leakage in the, in the stands. Like, everything was just unacceptable about yesterday. But going back to 
the on the field play, Antonio Gibson. You can't do that, my guy. You can't do that. You were running well. You um your vision seemed to be there. Your vision seemed like it was way more improved than last year. And then you come out on the two yard line. On the two yard line. On the on, on your own two yard line. After the biggest play that was made in the game. And you first of all, you were very impatient already bouncing it out where there were no blockers. You're bouncing it out where it's two defensive linemen and no blockers. Come on, man. Come on, man. We can't have those brain parts, even if I think you played pretty well. We can't have those. Because guess what? You're coming out there with the ball out here. For my YouTube fam, you can see how I'm, how I'm rocking right now. For my podcast fam, he was out there towing it like it was a loaf of bread and got smacked and got and fumbled. And they start complaining about his shoulder for the rest of the game. We got to fix that. We got to fix that. Um, if you looked at, um, you know, the, the share count and things like that, the coaching staff has full trust and full belief in Antonio Gibson at this point. He's played a lot of third downs, and J.D. McKissick didn't really see the field that much. Um, I thought that Antonio Gibson was pretty solid in pass protection, and he needed to be with that offensive line play. Speaking of the offensive line, I'm about to read every last single one of y'all. I don't know what was going on with that performance yesterday. Charles Leno, you, you you got Ryan Fitzpatrick killed, bro. You're the one that got Ryan Fitzpatrick killed. Buddy hit you with a smooth inside move, and you act like you couldn't react. You were just standing in quicksand. And, and, and it's bothersome to me because I see you on Twitter and things like that, always talking about, oh, oh, hopefully we can protect Fitz and things like that. And then you go ahead and let him get hurt in the second quarter of the season. I'm not saying that you did, but not saying that you allowed it or you wanted it to happen. But that was a piss poor play, bro. That was a piss poor play. I told you guys, the filter's coming off today. Sam Cosme, you got your ass worked by Joey Bosa. You got your ass worked by Joey Bosa all game. All game. It was the same thing that I saw in Richmond. And I was one of your biggest backers in Richmond. Like, guys, they don't have pads. You know how slippery Chase Young and Montez Sweat are going to be when you're not able to hold a shoulder pad, hold a, hold a, hold a, the inside of a jersey and things like that. And then come to find out you were improving when you guys got back out to Ashburn. Yesterday looked like Richmond 2.0. Going against one of the best defensive ends in football in Joey Bosa, who I think may be the most technical pass rusher in the NFL. He may not be the most uber athletic or things like that, but he gets the job done. And he was getting the job done over and over and over and over again yesterday. It was damn near every play to a point. I think PFF said something like um, Samuel Cosby had a a grade of 15, 1 5 out of a 100 point scale for his pass blocking grade, and it really looked like it. It really looked like it. It might have been, the grade might have been lower if Joey Bosa didn't get called for two roughing the passing penalties, negatively impacting, you know, his impact on that play. Because he bust your ass on that play. He bust your ass. And, and, and I, I got I to gotta get on the coaching staff on this one. You got your rookie right tackle going against one of the best edge rushers in the NFL. And you're not giving him any help. I don't know how many times Joey Bosa got chipped in that game at all. At all. And it's not like he's opposite uh, another dominant edge rusher. Yeah, Uchenna Nuoso is a good player. He's not Joey Bosa. So why are we paying him more attention? Like, what is going on? And that's why the filter is coming off today, guys, because I saw too much dumb stuff that could have been exposed. I'm not one of these typical Washington football team fans that, oh, the sky is falling, the sky is falling without giving you reason. I'm not. I have a bunch of reasons why I'm very upset about how the game went yesterday. Brandon fucking sure. 
Mr. Brandon, oh yeah, you gotta ask my agent about that. I really wanna be here, fucking sure. My God, you make $18 million as a damn guard. You make $18 million a year as a damn guard. You're supposed to be the best guard in the NFL with those type of numbers. And you're not. You're not. Lebo Joseph threw you out the club a couple times. And don't even let me get started on the two penalties that you got on. You were a human drive killer on that point. That resulted in the Duskin Hopkins 51-yard missed field goal. You were a human drive killer. First to hold on the Jerry Patterson run. But I really don't think that you needed to hold. Well, I really don't think that you needed to hold. I don't think that that guy was capable of making a play on Jerry Patterson in the open field. And then a false start after the negative reception by De'Ami Brown. I think that started out as a what? As a what? A, a, a second and three? And then we ended up at third and 18 after we lose three yards and then, and then the penalty? Like, what, what are we doing here, guys? What are we doing here? What are we doing here? This is a guy, I, I always say, oh, Brandon's the leader. Brandon's the type of guy that you want in the locker room. Brandon's the type of guy that you want that you want guys watching in the weight room. So so we went, we should have watched Brandon Sheriff's fucking play on Saturday, on Sunday, huh? Huh? Because he was, he was arguably the worst offensive lineman in the game. And everybody so, oh, oh, t- get it, t- take it easy on him. He is our first All-Pro in such and such and such as many years. And he didn't deserve that last year. And he didn't deserve that last year. Yeah, yeah, he was he he was he was a damn good guard in seventeen and eighteen, and pretty good in nineteen. I honestly believe his play started to slip in nineteen, twenty. And uh, uh, the NFL was late on giving him that All Pro nomination for last year because he wasn't that good, and he missed games. And then he comes back to follow up, you know. This offseason where, like I said, he's a, oh, I really want to be in Washington. You got to you gotta ask my agent about I'm sick of Brandon Scherf's shit, bro. I can see right through your shit. You're giving me Kirk Cousins vibes, bro. You're giving me Kirk Cousins vibes, bro. Like, if you don't want to be here, I don't expect you to just say, don't, to say it, but don't act like you do. Because you're not playing like you do either. Because... If we keep Dustin Hopkins in field goal range, well, he was doing pretty solidly inside 50 yards. That turns out to be a 19 to 13 game. Also, you know, hypothetically, gives Los Angeles a full field to work with where they have to score a touchdown. Where they have to score a touchdown to lead, to lead, or to ultimately win the game. But no, you want to fucking hold and you want to fucking jump, fall start. Like, we're not paying you 18 fucking million dollars a year. I told you the filter was coming off today, guys. Eric Flowers, I think you played pretty well. I think you played pretty well. You still you still have technique issues. Eric Flowers still has technique issues, but he's such a, a mammoth of the man sometimes that that doesn't even matter. One of my favorite things about Eric Flowers is it was scarce yesterday because we rarely made any big plays, but the few big plays that we made, especially on offense, Eric Flowers was the most hyped player. Go look at Eric Fowler's reaction on that Terry catch. Go look at Eric Fowler's reaction on that first long Antonio Gibson run down the sideline. Eric Fowler's is the type of teammate you want. Honestly, I'm, t- I'm tired of hyping up Brandon Sheriff. Brandon Sheriff isn't getting any more hype from me until he deserves it. Shout out to Jay Gruden because this dude is an $18 million guard. He's a, he's a guard. He's a guard. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it and not enough people talking about it.
Terry McLaurin, you're a dog, man. You're a dog. You're a dog. You're a dog. But speaking about Terry McLaurin, why are we not target, targeting our best offensive player in the first quarter at all? And then to put the cherry on top of that, Logan Thomas doesn't get targeted in the first quarter at all. What is going on with the play calling? What? What is going on with the play calling? It wasn't like our offense was moving, doing what we were doing. What is going on, Scott? You got to talk to me, Scott. You got to talk to me, Scott. Terry McCoy get no targets in the first quarter? And then he was basically shut out in the fourth quarter as well. Terry McCoy might as well have just been out there for a half. The second and the third, he might have just been out there for th two quarters. Because wasn't anybody else looking at him. And I'm trying to figure out why. You have potentially a top 10 receiver in the NFL. And we're not forcing the ball to him with an inept offense. We're by the time, what, the, the two, but with two minutes into the second quarter, two of our biggest, three biggest free agent signings, especially our two biggest free agent signings on the offensive side of the ball, they're nowhere to be found. They can't help you. So why are we force-feeding our best offensive player? What is going on, Scott Turner? I told you the filter is coming off today, guys. I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this. And the reason I'm sick of this is because I actually bought the hype this year. No, I'm not the sky's falling, but like I told you, there were too many things that could have been exposed yesterday. I know a lot of you guys in the Washington football team community, a lot of you guys are very pessimistic, don't get me wrong, but majority of you guys are looking at this with rose-tinted lenses. Oh, guys, we only lost by four. Oh, oh, the defense bent but don't break. Let's be honest. That defense gave up 424 yards after giving up 500 against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the playoffs. So they gave up nearly 1,000 yards in two games. And if the clock didn't run out on the Los Angeles Chargers where they knelt the ball down, they could have easily scored another touchdown. And they were in the red zone for another scoring opportunity before they got intercepted by William Jackson, which I'm giving all the credit to William Jackson for because that was a tremendous play. But let's not do this. Let's not fool ourselves, guys. I told you, the filter is coming off. Let's not fool ourselves, guys. Scott Turner, where the hell was Cam Sims? Where the hell was Cam Sims? The guy that you, that you basically made your wide receiver two towards the end of last year. He has one catch for 17 yards, but we're forcing De'Ami Brown. And while I love De'Ami, go back and look at my, my, my previous episodes. Go back and look at my tweets. De'Ami Brown, I think, is going to be an amazing player. While he did cause that defensive pass interference, it was on a long ball. Let me be honest, from somebody that can see everything from his seat in the, in the, in the, um, in the stadium, De'Ami Brown cannot get open on underneath routes. And that was the knock on him in college. He was a one-trick pony. He was a one-trick pony. That was the knock on him in college. And I saw it yesterday. He ran, he smooth ran by um, Asante Samuel Jr. on that defensive pass interference. But for the rest of the game, any hitch routes, any comebacks, anything, Antonio Asante Samuel Jr. was in that hip pocket. Him and De'Ami Brown were best friends. And that's why he resulted in one catch for negative two yards. That's not how I would want to start my NFL career. And I do have high hopes for De'Ami. But we got to get something done, man. We got to get something done. If he's not going to get open in the intermediate routes and short routes and things like that, you might have to work him out of a stack position. You know, um, if he's, like I said, you may, where, where, you know, his releases and things like that aren't as essential. He could just 
run by a guy because he has a free release. But the offense was mighty inept yesterday. Logan Thomas, while he did perform solidly, had a touchdown catch. I think that he left a lot to be designed in the run blocking game. So we have a lot to work on, and it's a lot of carryover from week one. Where I this is the one thing that I want sometimes. I want sometimes coaches to be like, "Yeah, you guys were." I know it's not going to happen. I know it's not going to happen. But I want coaches to be like, "Yeah, guys. Yeah, fans. You guys were right today. You guys, were, you guys were right on that point." Because we were right. We were right. Everybody in the Washington football team community was like, "Hey, are we sure we don't want to play starters in game three? Because our offense hasn't really." Lit the world on fire. Like, eh, I don't know about that one. You guys were absolutely right. So, I mean, the filter's coming off. That's all I can say. I think that's it for the offense. You know, 16 points isn't world-beating by any means. Um, what, what is that? Three, three field goals and a touchdown. The touchdown catch was a great ball by Heineke, putting it on um, Logan Thomas's back shoulder, where he wasn't even necessarily the most open. But you got a guy 6'7 in the back of the end zone against any guy in the secondary. I, I, I'm going to take my chances on that play every time. So it was a good throw, good catch by Logan and Ty, um, Taylor on that um, touchdown. But we got a lot of work to do. And we don't have a lot of time to get it done. Because guess what? New York comes into town in three days. And they're going to be pissed because they played horrible against the uh, Denver Broncos. Speaking of New York, make sure that you tune into our next episode of the Bleeding B&G Podcast where we preview our matchup against the New York Giants for this upcoming Thursday night football game. Now, let's get into the defense. As I mentioned before, the defense allowed 424 yards. You got Sam Marshall, you got Mike Greenberg, you got me out here claiming that we're going to be the best defense in the league this year, but you've given up almost 1,000 yards in your last two games. You got players in press conference, and this is what I hate. Oh, agreeing, agreeing, not not even shooting them down. They they like, yeah, we we hey, we may not, we may we may be the best defense. Chase Young included. Chase Young included. We may be the best defense in the NFL. You are shitting me with that performance yesterday. You guys are shitting me with that performance yesterday. And my thing is, what scheme are we running? What scheme are we running? Keenan Allen and other receivers are running in the flats wide open. The first play, I think it was Guyton. Guyton took a, a swing pass in the flats and, and took it for 16, 17 yards. Dude's running wide ass open. Dude's running wide ass open. And if that's a player, then you need to, he needs to come out of the game immediately. Because it was happening too often. It was happening way too often. That all held in front four that we talk about didn't do shit. Didn't do shit. My man, my man, Justin Herbert was just out there in the pocket looking like sunshine. His six-six frame can get as much time as he wanted and picked our defense apart. Couldn't do shit. Rashawn Slater, he dominated Chase Young just like he did in college. Alright, I'm a realist here over at Bleeding B&G. Y'all know I love me some Chase Young. Chase Young was getting washed yesterday. There's a reason why they had to switch him over to Brian Bulaga. And then eventually, Bulaga got hurt and he played a backup right tackle. And he still didn't make an impact. 
Now, don't get me wrong. I get in my football bag, too. Slater does have shorter arms, so you might want to put a guy like Montez Sweat with a longer wingspan on Slater and then move Chase to the other side. And the, and, um, the coaches did move um, around the defensive ends last year, but I'm telling you, there was more to it than just, oh, wingspans and things like that. Because guess what? Montez Sweat didn't make much of an impact against Slater either. Rashawn Slater dominated both of our defensive ends. This is a guy that hasn't played football in almost two years. I, I just, I just, like, like, if we're realists, if we're realists, there was a lot of things that you didn't like about the game yesterday. If we're being real, and I'm here to be real, and I always am real on the Bleeding B&G podcast. Y'all know that. I'm always shooting to you straight on the Bleeding B&G podcast. Chase Young, you were hella meh. You were hella meh yesterday. You had some decent plays in the run game, but I also saw you get blown off the ball in the run game as well. Go look at Austin Ackler's first touchdown run. Go look at Chase Young on that play. They ran right to his side. So don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong, Chase. You're, you're that good that you're always going to have a few splash plays. But to be honest, two of your splash plays came in the fourth quarter. Like, why are we waiting so long against a backup right tackle? Love me some Chase Young. Yesterday wasn't your best album. And I'm over here hyping you up. I remember the emoji you tweeted as soon as we found out we were going to be playing the Chargers. Because knowing you, I know that you were pissed that Slater made his name in the draft off of his performance against you. Because remember, he didn't play in 2019. He got drafted in his first round off his performance against you. He might go to the Hall of Fame and the Pro Bowl off his performance against you yesterday. Because that shit was bad. That shit was bad. The, we and I, I was dreading getting to this part, but we 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 got the worst linebackers in the NFL. We got the worst linebackers in the NFL, I, and I see why we only kept four at the you know first initial fifty-three man roster because those four aren't even that good. You all, you guys already know how I feel about John Bostic. He is ass. John Bostic, you are ass. And honestly, I think that you're the biggest culprit. For that um, conversion that the Los Angeles Chargers got on third and 16. Go look at the play diagram. John Bostic is jumping to the flats on what it seems to be a cover forward coverage. Why? Leaving the middle of the field wide ass open. Jamin Davis, you may, you may very well turn out to be an all pro. You may very well turn out to be a pro bowler, a future Hall of Famer. Listen to me right now. At this moment, guys, at this very moment, at 6.35 on Monday, September 13, 2021, Jamin Davis sucks. Jamin Davis sucks. And he's looking like a bust of a first-round pick, especially, especially when you could have got a quarterback, when teams jumped you to get Justin Fields. I think we forget about that. I think we forget about that. Now look at us. Dealing with Taylor Heineke and Cal Allen. Jamin Davis made one tackle, which was a damn good tackle. And the crazy and the most ironic thing about that is he made that tackle with the most pre-play motion that the Chargers had all season, all, all game. And he made that play. Jamin Davis has bad eyes. He's hesitant. I, also, I, I always thought in college that he wasn't the most ferocious in the run game. But even with bad eyes, you don't even know where you're going. 
What, what's the use of having full, full speed if you don't know where you're going? And I see it over and over, even in coverage. A lot of those times when the middle of the field was open in those old coverages, a lot of that was Jamin Davis being lost. A lot of it was John Bostic not being physically capable of doing. And Cole Holcomb, I love you, my guy, but Cole Holcomb is a small linebacker at the end of the day. If he doesn't beat the block and he gets hands put on him, he's going to be in chase mode. He's going to get pushed around. And that's what was happening yesterday. The running numbers were okay. But anytime that the Chargers felt like they needed to, to get a couple yards to get the rhythm and get their offense flowing, they got them with no problem. So don't let the stats fool you. Just like I'm telling you guys, don't let that, oh, the Chargers only scored 20 points. Don't let that fool you, please. Don't let that fool you. This was a horrible defensive outing. A horrible defensive outing. You guys should have called in um, K.J. Wright the day the Final 53 man was announced. I'm, I'm trying to figure out why we didn't. Because you guys just think that you guys have it, don't you? And what's pissing me off, and this is what I, this, I made this point on this, on this podcast before, and I'm going to say it again and again and again. Coach Ron Rivera and Coach Jack Del Rio are previous linebackers. They played linebacker on the NFL. Coach Rivera played on one of the greatest defenses of all time. Why can't we identify good linebacker play? Why can't we coach up good linebacker play? Because this shit is shit. This shit is trash. This shit is trash. The linebackers that we have on the roster are looking like a 60-year-old Rivera and a 60-year-old Jack Del Rio. Because this shit is bad. So why can't we, if not find a good linebacker, why can't we just coach these linebackers up to be good? I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I told you guys the filter was coming off today. I need to make sure I mark this episode as explicit because God. And lastly, the secondary. I'm hearing a lot of people talk about Benjamin St. Juice, and rightfully so. He was getting torched. And let me tell you why, from somebody that was at the game. See, y'all over there watching TV copies and things like that. Benjamin St. Juice, while he is a big corner at 6'3", he's so frail. He's so frail and so skinny. And I honestly think he lacks a lot of functional strength. Almost every play that Mike Williams beat him on is because he got physical with Benjamin St. Juice at the top of his route. He was just too strong for St. Juice. And I saw a lot of people, oh, he's just too big. Too No, he's not too big. Because St. Juice is damn near 6'4". Mike, Mike Williams is one of the bigger receivers in the league at about 6'4", close to 6'5". But he's just too strong for that guy. Running hitch routes and just giving him a shoulder. Oh, St. Juice is flailing. Flailing back. And that's where you would get his, uh, his uh, separation. So I'm not as down on Benjamin St. Juice as a lot of you guys. Oh, oh Benjamin St. Juice was getting torched all game. No, you know who was getting torched? Kendall Fuller. Kendall Fuller. And that brings me back to the Brandon Sherp point. Why aren't we talking about this? There's some players that I just, the Washington football team community seems to give a pass over and over again. Kendall Fuller got benched yesterday, guys. I don't know if you realized it. He got inserted back in the game after William Jackson had to go get an IV after his interception. But Kendall Fuller got benched. I see a lot of guys talking about Benjamin St. Juice, a guy who's going against 
a top 10 quarterback in a bad scheme against very solid wide receivers. But I only shit talked about Kendall Fuller, who was getting who's in year six and was getting torched from the jump. Kendall Fuller was never a burner. He was never the fastest corner. He wasn't a burner coming out of Virginia Tech. And it seems like he lost a couple steps that he didn't have to lose. They were picking on Kendall Fuller. You get a catch. You get a catch. You get a first down. You get a first down. It looked like the Oprah meme. I lied to you not. Kendall Fuller got benched yesterday, ladies and gentlemen. Kendall Fuller got benched yesterday. And this brings me to another issue. Why are we running so much damn zone defense? What did we bring William Jackson in for? What did we draft Benjamin St. Juice, one of the longest all corners for? Why are we playing so much goddamn zone defense? Isn't zone more complex to teach than man? Because in man-to-man defense, you're just responsible for your man? So why are we running some of these complex zone defenses in week one of the NFL season? Coaches, y'all got to take this L, man. Jack Del Rio, you was lunching yesterday, bro. You was out to lunch yesterday. And I think this is a deeper issue because I also think that it's a roster construction issue as well. Because you knew that we couldn't run man when um, William Jackson III went out for his IV. Because guess what? He's the only good man cover corner we have on the roster. That's an issue. That's an issue. Kendall Fuller doesn't have the speed anymore to run with these guys in mind, especially on the boundary. Benjamin St. Juice doesn't have the strength to line up with these guys in the mind, especially dominant X and Z receivers who are going to get theirs. Yeah, you may not think about, you know, a wide receiver necessarily needing the most strength, but Benjamin St. Juice is getting bullied by Mike Williams. What do you think he's going to do against a DK Metcalf? What do you think he's going to do against an A.J. Brown? A Julio Jones? There's a lot that I didn't like yesterday. And that's why I'm going off today. The filter is off. If you can't tell. If you cannot tell, the filter is off. Speaking of cornerbacks, though, William Jackson, my man ball. My man ball. I told you on that first free agent episode in March. Or what, what was it? April. That's my favorite free agent signing because he's a gamer. He's a baller. A lot of y'all getting scared off of some training camp reps where he's going against Terry McLaurin, who runs a 4 3, where it's set up for the off- offensive player to win every time nearly. That break that William Jackson III made on his interception was some of the best cornerback play I've seen ever with the Washington football team, up there with Chan Bailey and, and things like that. Because we haven't had really too, too, too elite, too much of elite cornerback play. D-Hall, you were a good player. I wouldn't necessarily call you elite year in and year out. So I just think that the people in the Washington football team community were worried about the wrong things. Back to what I touched bases on earlier. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man, Twitter. It was like Twitter Armageddon. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. William Jackson, he's getting torched. Antonio Gaddy Golden is called a pass on him. Yeah, and where the hell is Antonio Gandy Golden and what did William Jackson do yesterday? And where was this defense when William Jackson went out to get an IV yesterday? 
So do me a favor and shut the hell up about William Jackson III. Please. 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 He might be the best player on this defense at this point. And I mean that wholeheartedly. But let me tell you who was the best player on defense throughout the entire game yesterday. Cam Curl. You're a stud. You're a stud. Washington came out um, and they started out in the three safety sets with Cam playing that nickel Buffalo position. And they had William Jackson in third and they had Kendall Fuller outside. Cam Curl forced his own three and out almost. With a tremendous breakup on Jared Cook and another tremendous breakup on third down. So with all this being said, can somebody explain to me why the hell is Cam Curl playing less than half of the defensive snaps? Why the hell isn't Cam Curl in on third and 16? When he led your team and passed the flexions up until that point. Jack Del Rio, what the fuck were you doing yesterday, bro? And you know what, what grinds my gears is because he wants to be a hard ass with the media and they won't they won't give it to him how he's supposed to get it this week. He doesn't like answering questions and shit like that. Man, what the fuck were you doing yesterday? That's my question for you, Jack Del Rio. What the fuck were you doing yesterday? Because that was bullshit. The filter is coming off, guys. The filter is coming off. I hate to say it. The filter is coming off. It's, it's off. It's off. Speaking of the coaching staff, Coach Rivera, why wouldn't you call a timeout before the two-minute warning to essentially give your team an extra timeout? I can tell from Section 139, them boys was blowing, huffing and puffing, heavy as hell, and they needed a break. Why couldn't you? And guess what? What did the Chargers do? Walk right down their throat. First down. Game over. What Keenan Allen tell him? Bye-bye. We've been getting trolled since yesterday. Go look at Keenan Allen uh, interview off on the field yesterday. San Diego's, uh, I mean, I keep saying San Diego. The Chargers social media team trolling us with Sesame Street videos. We're a joke, bruh. We're a joke. And I really thought that it was going to be different this year. So I think I've gotten enough off my chest for today's episode because if I go any longer, I might as well, I might break my laptop at this point because I'm getting heated again. If you could, if you see me on YouTube, you see I'm turning red again. I just want to see it. I, I want us to be better as a unit, as a whole. That's all I want to see. So as I mentioned earlier in this episode, we will be giving you a matchup preview with the New York Giants before our matchup on Thursday night. This is it for episode uh, 26 of the Bleeding BNG podcast. I appreciate you guys for checking in. Remember, we've been giving you previews and recaps all, all season long. A lot of you guys mentioned how you love my Jared Patterson interview. Shout out to you guys. I appreciate that. I appreciate all the feedback. But guys, we got we to gotta get our shit together. And we got to get our shit together fast. Because starting out 0-2 with the quarterbacks that we play, and all our division games being late in the season, that doesn't set up for a very prosperous world. So as always, as always, as always, if you're watching us on YouTube, please subscribe, please like, please comment. If you're following, um, if you're listening to us on our podcast pages and you haven't followed our social media pages yet, 
please follow us on Instagram and Twitter. I'll spell those habits for you now. Our Instagram is at bleeding, B-L-E-E-D-I-N-G, B-N-G. Our Twitter handle is a tad bit different. It's at bleeding, B-L-E-E-D-I-N, B-N-G. So there's only one G in our Twitter handle. And remember, if you're looking at us on YouTube, please subscribe, please like, please comment. I really appreciate it. If you're following us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please leave a review and please leave a rating. Let's, 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 let's. Let's, let's finesse this algorithm so that when you're looking for Washington football team coverage, Bleeding B&G is one of the first things that pop up. Because you know we give you the best insight. You know we give you the best breakdowns. And you know we just give it to you straight, cut, raw, and unfiltered all the time. So I appreciate you guys tuning in to episode 26 of the Bleeding B&G podcast. I'll be checking in with you for episode 27. Peace.